0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've got to be one of my friends who is trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every time President Trump says something inflammatory that panics Wall Street and sends the stock market plummeting, like we saw on Friday, you've got to remember that this president doesn't want stocks to go down. He wants stocks to go higher. And that's how you get a day like today where the Dow gained 270 points, s climbed 1.1%, and the Nasdaq pole, pole at 1.32%. Trump knew that things looked bad after Friday's sell-up. So he decided to say something positive about the negotiations with China, and that turned things around. Did he call them? Did they call him? Was there even a call? People, that's almost beside the point. On Friday, the president took a harsh stance, talking about boosting tariffs and demanding that American companies leave China immediately. Now he says the Chinese called him and they're willing to negotiate. That was enough to give the market some lift, even though we're getting conflicting reports about what really happened. We know the People's Republic has officially denied that anyone called Trump. On the other hand, Trump says he got two calls because the Chinese are desperate and they know he has the upper hand. Who's telling the truth? I've got to tell you, I, I was amazed at how quickly most of the media rushed to decide that the Chinese Communist Party is more credible than the White House. Don't be wrong. I recognize that our president likes to engage in what he calls truthful hyperbole. But China is an authoritarian one-party state. It's not like their government has a, any reputation whatsoever for honesty. More importantly... We don't care. We don't care who did what. We care what they're saying publicly. I mean, Trump's signaling a willingness to deal. China's chief negotiator, Vice Premier Liu He, says he's willing to resolve things through consultation and cooperation. Remember, this trade war is much worse for China than it is for us. And if you don't believe that, you're just not willing to accept facts. They're being hurt by the tariffs and they need a deal. Maybe they just want the trade war to calm down while they try to address the increasingly violent protests in Hong Kong and the loss of face that they're having there, although the media never mentions that. But here's what really matters to your portfolio, because this is mad money. President Trump used the stock market as the equivalent of his Nielsen ratings. If he does something that makes the market go down time after time, he's shown a willingness to change course so the stocks can go back up. That's why it's almost always a mistake to sell into the teeth of presidential tweet and do sell-off like it was on Friday. If you want to take something off the table now that the markets bouncing back, hey, be my guest. The important thing, though, is that you've you got to filter out the emotional day-to-day noise so you can make a clear-eyed assessment of what's really going on here. Let me tell you what I see. First, I I still believe a quick trade deal is highly unlikely. The White House isn't trying to get China to just buy more American-made agricultural equipment or foodstuffs these days. We are long past that. The president wants the Chinese government to cut out their many unfair trade practices, which would amount to a wholesale change in how the PRC does business. He wants American companies out of China pronto because they won't change. I think you need to view these on-again, off-again negotiations as a way of giving U.S. companies more time to, to pull up stakes and leave. The Buster always contains the same rhetoric about this stuff. you got to understand, Trump believes his tariffs can cause a serious recession in China, which would give him the upper hand, let him win real concessions, and he doesn't care about the cost to us or the rest of the world, world work. Who knows? It may be an exaggeration when Trump says they're losing billions of dollars and millions of jobs, so the tariffs are indeed hurting them. Second while the president is willing to tweet harsh words and, and, and risk a big decline in the stock market. If that decline is too big, he will always turn around and say something positive. It's done it time and again. How long will it take Wall Street, particularly the pajama traders, to learn? However, at the end of the day, Trump cares more about beating the Chinese than he cares about pushing the stock market higher. If the market was his number one priority, we wouldn't have a trade war at all. So while you can count on Trump to soften the blow after a big decline, sooner or later he'll go right back to his more bellicose rhetoric. I don't blame him. This crackdown on China's unfair trade practices was a long time coming. Third, any publicly traded U.S. company that stays in China, well, their stocks are going to get lower valuations in the stock market as long as the trade war goes on. If your business depends on China for its sales or its supplies, you're going to pay a price here, and the White House doesn't care if those stocks go down. The White House actually wants to see that. The president accepts that some companies will simply move to Vietnam, although he's wary of transshipments from China. So American companies need to be careful that they aren't simply buying Chinese goods routed through Vietnam. He'd prefer Indonesia or Malaysia, although ideally he wants these companies, of course, to come back to the United States. But when he orders American companies to leave China, the whole strategy is that the stock market will do his lifting, his heavy lifting, in terms of punishing anyone who doesn't listen. Maybe you think that's too sophisticated for the White House. I think it's intentional, but whether it's part of the plan or not, it's absolutely happening. Finally, and this is a toughing, our industrial economy is absolutely getting hurt because of the tariffs. There's a visible slowdown in manufacturing. as measured by rail car loadings, lumber, plastic pricing, uh, auto, sales, liner board, high-end home purchases. So if you have a lot of exposure to the industrials, I think you need to do some swapping. That's right, sell something and move into something less cyclical. I recommend moving into nice, consistent companies with good balance sheets and high dividends. That means Verizon with a 4.2% yield, uh, but not ATT with its more precarious nearly 6% yield. ATT's balance sheet isn't good enough. I want you to review the good reads, like a Ventas or a Vici. There's also uh, gold. We like Barrick. We like Agni. If you just keep your money in an index fund, I don't think there's really that much you can do here. you got to ride things out, expecting more volatility, even though it can leave uh, it leave, leave you bruised uh, pain, because it's too hard to swap out and then swap back in at just the right moment. We don't play that game with man money. However, you might want to raise your cash position on these strong days to at least 10% of your portfolio. This is going to be a long slot. You need to be prepared for more pain. And you'd be able to buy that pain, even if the pain, well, let's just say is painful. Bottom line, whether or not China wants to make a deal, from what I can tell, President Trump believes the longer he holds out, the better, which means we haven't seen the last of these brutal sell-offs. So get used to them. And next time, remember, there's almost always a bounce after the worst of the carnage, because he wants one. Let's go to Jordan in Rhode Island. Jordan. Booyah, Jim, from a 28-year-old bootstrapping robotics entrepreneur from the smallest state of the union. There you go. I love that. I love you. I love that you're calling 28-year-olds. See, No, only 75-year-old people are just in stocks. Okay. Well, my question is on the company McDermott International. Their last two earnings calls were pretty bad. Uh, They have another one
2: coming up. Revenues are decent and some good volume activity. It's some attractive float there. There's a few press releases on some new contracts that they won, and there's estimates all over the place uh, on their price. I just wanted to ask you, Do you see the potentiality
0: with all these issues with global trade and and China for energy to possibly give
1: us a little bit of a safe haven to hedge against all the commotion that's going on? I
0: think that this is a go-away industry. Uh, I don't want to be there. Uh, I have nothing positive to say about the group. Nothing at all. Ken in New Jersey. Ken. Hey, Jim. My question today is about IBM. I bought it at about 143, and I'm down about 10% since acquiring it. Uh, Two questions. Is is this stock safe from the trade war? And uh, how safe is that 5% yield now? I think the 5% yield is incredibly safe. Uh, I don't think that that there is China exposure. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But the Red Hat deal has made it so that it's worth being in. I see more pain uh, simply because people hate the stock. uh, But there's really no reason to despise it as much as the sellers do now. It makes no sense to me. All right. There's two certainties in this market. The first, President Trump wants stocks to go higher. And two, the trade war is staying power. Expect things to, uh, let's say, have, be more volatile until something shakes out, whatever that may be. Until then, reduce your exposure to the industrials and buy the stocks of companies with sustainable high yields and good balance sheets. Hey, man, tonight, are consumers still spending on their Vente triple cappuccinos? The ones with skim, like I order. I'm talking to the CEO of Starbucks to find out. Then, have you heard about the uh, war that's broken out the, on the, this month? No, we're not talking about the trade war. We're talking about the great sandwich debate of 2020. I'm looking for ways to profit off of chicken sandwich mania that's ruffling feathers across the U.S. And how a $7.6 billion deal is transforming the animal health state. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Hey y'all, it's your girl, Shangela, and I want to invite you to Hallelujah Happy Hour. Every week, honey, I'm shaking up a cocktail, making a playlist, and hanging with friends. Okay, let's feel. You're gonna tell that you are messy. Oh, he's so hot. I'm in there. Is he listening to this? And it's gonna be what? Sickening. Follow Hallelujah Happy Hour and listen
2: for free on Spotify.
0: to what you might have heard. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Just look at Starbucks. For years, the coffee been stock was stalled, pretty much doing nothing. Stuck in the 50s. Then in 2017, longtime CEO Howard Schultz steps down. Kevin Johnson, a tech guy from Juniper Networks, takes his place. A lot of people were a little confused about why a chain of coffee shops would bring in someone from Silicon Valley as CEO. Now, it took Johnson a little while to turn things around, but it's safe to say nobody's confused anymore. Thanks to better technology and better drinks, Starbucks finally solved its stupid problem They're able to move the lines along much faster now. They're growing like bad in China and seem to be doing just fine in spite of the trade war. Nitro, the red-hot cold brew, is crushing it here in the U.S. The latest quarter was spectacular. Big top and bottom line beat with 6% same-store sales growth in response to stock shot from 90 to 99 in a day. Well, since it's pulled back to 96, I think it's a bargain at these levels. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Kevin Johnson, the president and CEO of Starbucks, who masterminded this incredible turnaround. Do you have a better sense of where his company's headed? Mr. Johnson, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank yeah. you, Kevin. Have a seat. Thanks thank thank you. Time. All right. Tell us. Magnificent
2: turnaround. How'd you do it? Well, a lot of this was focusing on the right things and then executing with discipline. Specifically, we focused on the experience in the stores, beverage innovation, Cold brew, nitro cold brew, refreshers, and extending that experience in stores to a digital customer relationship. That was the key. All right. Now, you clearly
0: believed in yourself in the turn because you told me in the 50s that was it. You're going to take some of that $7 billion, and you are just going to stand there and buy stock. People didn't believe you, and you bought and bought.
2: Well, you know, we did the Global Coffee Alliance with Nestle a little over a year ago. And as part of that Global Coffee Alliance, they, uh, they paid a $7.2 billion uh, for the, the licensing rights to sell Starbucks at CPG and food services. We took the $5 billion after tax uh, from that $7.2 mm-hmm. $2 billion, and we did buy back stock. We've been aggressively buying back stock uh, since last year when it was uh, you know it was at lows as, as, as low as 50, $50 a share.
0: Well, it was a great move. And uh, you have said over and over again you're going to grow at scale mobile
2: order and pay throughput delivery these were all part of your strategy and i think they're all working well as i said last quarter we're firing on all cylinders right. you know you look at uh, our business in the u.s our business in china you know we posted a seven percent comp uh, globally uh you look at the global coffee alliance the work we're doing with nestle we've now expanded into 16 new markets uh and so you know, the company is on a path where we now are accelerating the pace of innovation in ways that we believe are relevant to our customers, inspiring to our partners, and they're certainly meaningful to our business. This has actually, of course, happened
0: in China too. There are a lot of companies that are confused about their mission in China now, partly because of Washington. You're not. Those numbers demonstrate. An acceleration
2: in China during the trade tension. Yeah, we had an acceleration in China. And and two months ago, Jim, I was in Beijing to celebrate the 20th anniversary since Starbucks entered China. We now have 50,000 Starbucks partners in China who proudly wear the green apron. And it was a a real privilege for me to be with them and share that experience. So we have built Starbucks in China for China. And they execute on what we call China speed. And they're doing a great job. It's working. Now, I didn't know until my kids did it. The phenomena of
0: nitro. You always told me that you got to get that day part in the afternoon uh, moving. Cold brew from a hot coffee place.
2: Well, Jim, it all started with cold brew, which, uh, which is, is, a, is a form of coffee. It brews for 24 hours in cold water. And as a result, it's a much more creamy, caramelly uh, tasting beverage with a little pop of lemon. Then you add nitrogen to it, and it just makes it creamier and sweeter. And so the combination of our cold brew, nitro cold brew, our refreshers, has unlocked the afternoon day part. In fact, a little over half of our beverages now are cold beverages. Well, millennials that I speak to were saying, oh, geez, you know, I was going craft, whatever. I, I was, millennials, what happened that this thing took over? Well, I think clearly we identified you know, early in the cycle that this was a flavor profile and the shift to cold was going to happen. We amplified our R&D and our innovation around cold beverages. And as a result, uh, we began to see that that was resonating uh, with all customers, and especially millennials. We then started to put nitro uh, in all of our stores. And by the end of the uh, next month, and end of September, we're going to be in all company-operated stores with nitro. And, but you also have a new drink coming out when tomorrow. We have a new drink coming out tomorrow, and I think we've got one of our uh, great Starbucks baristas, Tatiana, who's, who's here, has just made... Tatiana? Made, Tatiana's made a, uh, a pumpkin cream well, cold brew. I,
0: this I'm is new for you. me, because I'm always one of the first people to do the pumpkin in the... In, thank you. In, in, when it comes to October, this will be... Ter- you're moving it up a little.
2: This is it. Now, pumpkin cream cold brew right here.
0: That is so good. All right, so we got... Wow. We got to talk about something that you also... And this is... We got credit to Howard... We had a business roundtable last week. Suddenly discovered something that you've been doing (laughs) since you started, which is to recognize that there are more people than just shareholders. And look what it's done for you. Do you think people just saw the success of some
2: companies like you and realized they better get on the case? Well, I think one of the most special things about Starbucks is that we have a mission and a purpose that is grounded in humanity, and a purpose that goes far beyond the pursuit of profit. And I give Howard Schultz and all the leaders that came before me all the credit in the world for this. They they operated the company this way from day one, and that means we're going to invest and take care of our partners, whether it's healthcare, college achievement. Uh, you know. That- we- Veterans, you're probably the best there is. Well, we just exceeded the 25,000, uh, g- the goal of hiring 25,000 veterans or military spouses. We've exceeded that goal three years early, and we are now on a run rate of hiring 5,000 veterans a year. That is... And so all of those things, you know, add up to, to what we're doing to really drive a purpose that goes beyond the pursuit of profit. We did know the lines were too long. Some
0: of mine, mine is still too long in between seven thirty and 8, but that's okay. It's a small format. Uh, the notion of technology as being what was necessary in order to get to scale played into your strong suit so what did you learn at
2: juniper that helped you at starbucks well certainly 32 years in the tech industry and you know you know 16 years at microsoft and at juniper two things number one Modern day retailers have to create an experience in the store and then they have to extend it with a digital customer relationship. And at Starbucks, when I joined the board uh, over a decade ago, we started on that journey. And today, you look in the U.S., we have over 17 million active uh, active loyalty members They use the mobile app regularly. 42% of our tender is from loyalty members, on, you know, payment on that mobile device. So the importance of that customer connection... But then most recently, we've been using technology to help automate administrative tasks in our stores that free up our partners in the stores to focus on the customer. And uh, you know, simple things like inventory management, some of, the, some of the labor scheduling and the scheduling of their, their shifts uh, is all automated now. That's freeing up time. Partner engagement is up, and customer connection scores are at an all-time high.
0: Now talk to me about Brightloom because you know I think it's important because of who's running it. And I think it's amazing for you to realize that this was the whiteboard that
2: Howard told me years ago could happen. Well, you know, we've worked for a decade building this, what we call the digital flywheel, the ability to connect with customers, personalize offers to them. And we've done that in our company-operated stores, mainly in the U.S., Canada, Japan, and the U.K. But we have licensed partners around the world that run uh, different technology stacks, different point of sale systems, and we want them to have access to the digital flywheel. We actually want all food and beverage merchants in the industry to have access to it. So we licensed our digital flywheel software to Brightloom with Adam Brotman at the helm. And they are com- creating a company that's going to focus on uh, providing commercial cloud-based services to all food and beverage merchants so that they, too, can enjoy the benefits.
0: Uh, uh, having to be in the business now, I, I that's when I want to own stock at a beverage in public. Last thing, uh, you do have an ingrained in China relationship, and you know, Alibaba, and it, everyone's so negative And everyone just believes that there's never going to ever be a good resolution. Uh, it, it, you've
2: seen it all.
0: Is it... I, I, is that really how it has to play out?
2: Well, first of all, I would say you know, the, the same way we built this great global coffee alliance with Nestle, we have a very important strategic partnership with Alibaba, our China digital partnership. And you know, over the years, I've gotten to know Daniel Zhang and, and his leadership team very well. They are great partners to Starbucks, uh, and you know, we're very optimistic about uh, the strategic value they bring and how we work together. No, that said, you look at the geopolitical situation. I think everybody recognizes it's better for all nations and all merchants to be able to have you know a good global trade environment, and I believe we'll get there. Okay, good, good. I want that. And
0: then the last thing, uh, you know, people keep talking about that we're going to be in a recession or something. Uh, You've got a huge footprint in the United States, and you've got it all over the country. If people are uh, not willing, are you bumping into any resistance on price? Because that would indicate to me that there really is some sort of recession. Or can you, I'm not sure what this costs, but I bet you
2: it's going to be incredibly popular, and that's a good sign that we're not going into recession. Well, Jim, right now our customer connection scores are at an all time high in the U.S. And that's okay. a function of two things. That's a function of how well our Starbucks partners are serving customers, but it's also a little bit of the attitude that consumers have as they're engaging with Starbucks. You know, that said, we have not seen signs of, uh, you know, in the U.S. Of, of anything related to a slowdown, but we do know these things go in cycles. But right now we're firing in all cylinders and consumer, consumers seem to be doing well. You probably know more about. Maybe there's a guy at Walmart, maybe someone at
0: Target, and then there's you. In terms of people who know and have the pulse of America, I'm going to congratulate you for an incredible performance you've done for shareholders, but also for stakeholders, which I know are just important. And people go out and drink this because it's darn good. Okay, I want to thank Kevin Johnson, president CEO of Starbucks. Look at this run, and Kevin engineered it, but he would tell you it's the people in the green apron that deserve the credit. Everybody's money's back here for the break. Drop in. Watch free. Forget the trade war for a moment. Tonight we've got a whole new war to cover. I'm talking about the great chicken sandwich war of 2019. Not to be confused with Australia's great emu war of 1932, which was won by the emus. For those of you who have the good fortune not to be on Twitter, <laughs> man, were they killing me today? I mean, you believe it? Bring it on! The chicken sandwich war is a vicious duel to the death between Chick-fil-A, the defending champion, and Cramer Faye Popeyes, which I used to call Popeyes, but I've learned, the fabulous fried chicken chain that just rolled out their very first chicken sandwich earlier this month, which is impossible to get because it's so hot. In less than two weeks, the new Popeye sandwich has become a viral sensation, fueled by their savvy use of social media. You've even got the Popeye's and Chick-fil-A accounts tweeting at each other, which is, holy cow, that is good marketing. Even if it's a little freaky when brands pretend to be people. Still, you can see why this Popeye sandwich is caught on. This thing, I mean, just look at this thing. I mean, I'm talking about glorious... But we're not here to conduct a blind taste test or figure out who is the better chicken sandwich. This is mad money, not mad chicken, certainly not mad cow. So there's only one question we're interested in. How can you make money off the great chicken sandwich war? Okay, this gets a little tricky. Frankly, you may not know this, but Chick-fil-A has actually become the third largest restaurant chain in America by sales. That's behind uh, only McDonald's and Starbucks. And they're number one in the quick serve chicken space there's a good reason you don't know this, though, because Chick-fil-A is a privately held company, meaning there's no way for you to invest in success. That's too bad, because the fundamentals, they're fabulous. So what about the other side? Popeyes appears to be getting a huge boost from their new chicken sandwich. According to management, this has been their biggest product launch in 30 years. And remember how much we followed Popeyes when they were public? Right? I mean, we knew it was a winner. According to the Washington Post taste test, they write about things other than trade war. Uh, Washington Post taste test. This thing is head and shoulders above the competition. Apparently, Chick-fil-A sandwiches, quote, always damp if you don't eat it immediately, end quote. And it's, quote, briny, but not crispy, end quote. These are not their words. Not mine. Shake Shack has a good chicken sandwich, although the Washington Post says it is too much mayo. I mean, you could tell them to hold the mayo, but what do I know? As for this beautiful Popeyes chicken sandwich, Washington Post says it's the crunchiest, crispiest fast food chicken sandwich out there. It's also hefty, with a great surface area than uh, either of its competitors. Ooh, now I want to bite into this. Cal- this thing, calories be damned. They continue. The bun is more buttery. Tell me more. The chicken is juicy, and the pickles are cut thicker. Hey, should I just eat this sandwich live on TV? Do you really want want to watch me scarfing down a Popeye's chicken sandwich? Or maybe I'll save it for later. Uh, Hey, Regina, uh, we're going to need at least a dozen of these minimum. Done. Thank you very much. Good. We have a big staff. We have a big staff now. Anyway, the sandwich has been a huge hit for Popeye's. If you were following the story on Twitter, the commentary quickly transitioned from how great the sandwich was to how long the lines were getting. And then how some locations were running out. Hey, how about today? How about Thursday? No wonder. It's only $3.99. I mean, you know, they're paying you. I mean, that's incredible value. But the amazing thing is that Popeye's hasn't even started advertising on TV yet. This is all viral marketing. And I that Stevens just raised his third quarter same-store sales forecast for Popeye's from 3% up to 7%. 7% number could be conservative. So far, he's seen a high single-digit to low double-digit same-store sales increase based on channel checks. But it's still early in the quarter, so maybe demand slows down. There, there is, though, this one little problem. You can't invest directly in Popeye's anymore. Two years ago, the company was acquired by Restaurant Brands. That's the Glamour that owns Burger King and Tim Hortons. That's the classier Canadian version of Dunkin' Donuts. Restaurant Brands is an enormous company. Pope, Popeyes only makes up 12% of their stores and maybe 7% of their earnings. So while the stock could get a boost from the new chicken sandwich, it's never going to be a needle mover for Restaurant Brands. And that's unfortunate. I don't want you buying Restaurant Brands off this. For better or worse, if you buy Restaurant Brands, the Apple ticker QN. SR for quick serve restaurant. You're betting on Burger King. Now the con has been good. There's no doubt about it. Uh, stocks up roughly 47% for the year. They just launched their own meatless burger, The Impossible Whopper. I've had the Impossible Meat Burger. It is dynamite. And that's boosted traffic by nearly 20% at the locations where they're testing it out. And the last quarter was strong. Restaurant Brands is a fine company, uh, but the stock isn't exactly cheap. It's roughly 25 times earnings, uh, making it slightly more pricey than McDonald's and only a little cheaper than Starbucks. Unfortunately, the vast bulk of the growth is international. some meaningful China exposure. They opened 140 Burger Kings, 140 in the PRC last year. And I've got to tell you, therefore, they got the mo. And I'm not going to tell you that you can't buy it, but you should know this. 3G. Yes, the real reason to avoid the stock is to do with 3G, the Brazilian private equity firm that bought uh, Burger King nearly a decade ago and transformed it into restaurant bands we know today. 3G is now ringing the register in a substantial position. They own 41% of the company, and they've now brought that down to 36 Makes sense for them to take profits, especially after the hideous losses they've taken in Kraft Heinz. Holy cow, that's one of theirs. This thing's made these guys a fortune. But if they keep selling, it's going to eventually weigh on the stock. But again, I am not against buying restaurant brands. So you can't own Chick-fil-A, and you can't own Popeye's as a pure play, only as part of a much larger conglomerate, which is a great company with potentially precarious stock. Maybe we need to think outside of the box here. Maybe the real takeaway here is that people just love chicken. They love chicken. And if that's the case, you don't need to invest in the chicken more directly. You need to buy an arms dealer. And when it comes to chicken, there's only one name you need to know. And that name is Tyson Foods. This big meat processor is a huge chicken business that accounts for 30% of their sales. I'll go to the supermarket. You'll see... When you see chickens, you're going to see Tyson chickens. This stock has been a bit of a roller coaster after Roaring Higher in 2017. Stock got clubbed last year. Real bruising. No Tyson has been hit that hard since the Mike Tyson got knocked out by Lennox Lewis, who my champion, by the way, on Celebrity Apprentice, When then businessman slash TV star, Donald Trump, asked me who should go down the elevator and who shouldn't. Lately, though, Tyson Foods has come back with a vengeance, up more than 70% for the year. And even after that gain, I think, get it, get this. I think it's got more room to run. First, though, little Mia culpa. I recommended the stock in 2017, not long before it broke down. Then I threw in the towel for, uh, when it uh, dropped below 70. My track record, less than stellar. Hey, and people on Twitter, please go on and attack me as a buffoon and a chowderhead because I would appreciate that. It makes me so happy. What you don't realize is that's what I live for and feed on. Like you clearly don't know me. Anyway, still, last year, Tyson was getting hit with some serious headwinds like higher labor costs, higher transportation costs, and the new tariffs, of course. Then last September, CEO Tom Hayes, who we loved, stepped down out of nowhere for personal reasons. long uh, longtime Tyson veteran Noel White taking over successor. Since then, the stock indeed has caught fire, as you can see from the chart. Companies reported a series of consistently strong quarters. They're doubling down higher margin businesses like prepared foods. They've improved their execution. They've rolled out a plant-based beef alternative to compete with impossible meat. Uh, although it's got kind of a hybrid thing going. Their pork business is benefiting from African swine fever, which is killing pigs all over the world, especially in Asia, but not here. While Tyson's not totally immune to the trade war with China, they still get 88% of their sales from the U.S. Oh, and President Trump just agreed to a trade deal with Japan over the weekend that nobody's talking about uh, that will open up the Japanese markets to more American beef and pork exports. It's actually quite a big deal. Plus, we know millennials love protein. I mean, Tyson's all protein. Best of all, even after its magnificent rebound, the stock is still cheap. Now, this is only 13 times earnings as opposed to restaurant brands. Bottom line, when you see all these people lined up outside Popeye's waiting for a bite of their terrific new chicken sandwich, you should buy the biggest arms dealer in chicken world. Yes, Tyson Foods. Whether Chick-fil-A or Popeye's wins the chicken wars, Tyson will always come out ahead. We're going to start the question with Keith in Minnesota.
1: Keith! Hey, Jim, it's Keith. I have a position on Cisco, S-Y-Y. Just wondering what your opinion is. They had a I like good both quarter Cisco's. last quarter. I like
0: both Cisco's. CSCO, Chuck Robbins. Okay, the quarter wasn't perfect, but it was all right. And then Cisco, S-Y-Y, the one that you own. Wow, that was a shoot-the-lights-out quarter. I get to interview Nelson Peltz in September at Delivering Alpha, and we may have to try to bring that up just momentarily. I'm really talking much more, of course, about Procter & Gamble and David Taylor. But now let's remember... As we await a supreme leader to emerge in this clucking chicken sandwich war, I'm recommending you go right to the source and add Tyson Foods to your plate. Stocks run a lot this year, but hey, it's a bargain versus, say, restaurant brands, which owns Popeyes, but I'm not against that one either. What's more Mad Money is. Is Olanco barking up the wrong tree when it comes to its purchase of uh, Bears' animal health business? I'm giving my take on the company's decision to pounce. Then, How this market's pajama party could be impacting your portfolio's potential. Throw your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. being whipsawed by the trade war. But, Silsen, 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 Silsen. Silsen. On Friday, it's the tariff apocalypse. <laughs> and today, the president makes some positive noises about negotiating with the Chinese and we're off to the races. <laughs> if you're sick and tired of all this volatility, and I don't blame you, the best thing you can do is to try to identify powerful secular growth themes that will keep working regardless of the trade <laughs> talks. Themes like the humanization of pets. Okay, so you've heard it from me. I don't care. I try to drill these things in your head because they work. Oh, by the way, uh, happy National Dog Day to two of my favorite animals. Yes, Marley and NVIDIA, who was a little stuck in the 160s, but don't worry, he'll break out. For years, I've been pounding the table on this story. Americans increasingly treat their pets like members of the family which means we're now spending fortunes on feeding them the best food or buying them the best health care. And if you stuck with this group, you've cut some monster gains. I mean, let's see, over the past five years that we've been flogging this thing, the Kramer fave IDEX is up 344%, Zoetis up 259%. That's why we bring these CEOs on people. I want you to be familiar with these great stories. But there's another issue. We hate to chase some mad money. We don't like to chase stocks that have mammoth rallies. So tonight I want to drill down on a real oddity in the pet space an underperformer. It's called Alanco. Alanco Animal Health. And the symbol there is Elon, like Elon, which is one of my it's my favorite symbols of all time. But Alanco, the stock, has been a real dog ever since it was spun up by Eli Lilly. It was a little less than a year ago. <laughs> so what do these guys do, and why has the stock been such a loser? is basically a pharmaceutical company, but for animals, okay? They're the number one maker of feed additives. They're a major developer of vaccines and anti-parasite drugs, and they have some treatments for a variety of common pet problems like osteoarthritis and ear infections. The company's a lot more livestock-oriented, though, than most of our humanization pets plays. We don't like that. It still does get 35% of its sales from the business-related to companion animals, though. If that's the case, why has the stock been such a disappointment? First off, it's only been a disappointment if you didn't listen to me when I warn you to stay the away from this one shortly after the IPO when the stock spiked 50%, which made no sense to me at all. I said Alanco was too expensive versus the group and it was trading at thirty-four ninety, and I was dead right. Stock's now trading below 26 Initially, it hung in there, but after trading sideways for nine months, Alonco's experienced a horrific breakdown over the course of August. I mean, this is incredible. It, it, that, that's a huge decline. Even though the company reported a string of what's called, let's call them, inconsistent quarters since the IPO, that wasn't what did the stock in the culprit. Late last month, we started getting reports that Alonco was in talks with Bayer, that's B-A-Y-E-R, we call it Bayer, to acquire their animal health division. And last week, the companies confirmed that Alonco is paying $7.6 billion in cash and, more importantly, stock, which helps drive down the stock for Bayer Animal Health. When the news broke, the stock quickly lost 8% of its value a single session. And it would have been down more if it hadn't already been hammered by the rumors that this deal was coming. Now, why does Wall Street hate this transaction? A couple reasons. When Alonco was spun off by Eli Lilly, the parent company left them with a substantial amount of debt, $2.5 billion worth. Beyond that, just this morning, Bank of America downgraded the stock and buy a hold, which is why it got hit again today. While they acknowledge that the bear animal health deal could potentially work out, they're worried about the uncertainty factor. We don't know which part of the portfolio Alonco will need to divest in order to get any trust approval. We didn't have much clarity on what the growth rate will look like for the combined businesses. The business they're buying from Bayer had been slowing. It's down 2% in the first half of the year. And Bayer itself will end up owning 15% of the company, which may be a pretty quick sell for them. As for me, I think that the sellers here have made a serious mistake. When I looked at the Bayer deal, I saw a stroke of genius. After the merger, Alonka will be the second largest animal health company on Earth. Management says the combination will be additive to their earnings per share within the first year of closing. Even better, this is, and this is what really makes me feel that the sellers at this level, not earlier, at this level, all the sellers are wrong. Alanco doubles their pet exposure. Alanco's always been way too livestock-oriented for me. That's like a commodity business. Uh, they, I couldn't recommend them on participating in the humanization of pets bull market. That's about to change. After the merger, Alanco will be split 50-50 between companion animals and livestock, which means it'll be a legitimate... Humanization of pets play, and that's huge. Best of all, there's another aspect of this deal that I haven't seen many people address. You gotta understand that bear's a motivated seller. The gigantic German conglomerate is still trying to digest its last enormous and yes stupid acquisition, the sixty three billion dollar takeover of Monsanto, which came with some major unexpected liabilities related to Roundup, the herbicide that allegedly causes cancer. These roundup lawsuits are popping up like well uh, weeds. <laughs> And now we have no idea how much it will cost for Bayer to settle them all. And they're going to have to. Hence why Bayer stock has been a slow motion disaster for the past few years. And this is much different from the J&J situation that everybody's talking about. J&J is $500 million loss. But you know what? Some people were looking for 17 billion, no one was less than a billion, and J and is going to appeal. This is very different. This bear thing, they really need the money. If bear feels like it needs to raise some cash, then make then maybe Alonco's getting a great opportunity thanks to a really motivated seller. Even the bears in this deal concede that Alanco's paying less for bear animal health than most people expected. So I think you've got a very intriguing situation here, thanks to the bear deal. Alanco's earnings should get a substantial boost. At the same time, it will make a lot more sense as a humanization of pet story. Yet Elonco's stock's been pummeling. It's down from 35 bucks to 26 today. I don't care how much uncertainty there is surrounding this merger. At these levels, i got to tell you, it's baked into the price. Look, Alanco had a new all-time low today. Right now, it sells for 20 times next year's earnings, 18 times the 2021 numbers, when the upside from the bear deal should really start kicking in. 11 months ago, Alanco was selling for more than 30 times earnings when I told you, sell, sell, sell. But now, it down here at 18 times earnings? I like it. Bottom line, I'm a big believer in the humanization of pet story, and thanks to the acquisition of Bear Animal Health, Alonco will finally have enough pet exposure to really participate in the phenomenal bull market in the humanization of pets. Yet the stock has sold off hard because investors are nervous about the deal. I recommend taking advantage of their misguided panic, and I recommend buying shares in Alonco. Stick with Kramer. It is time! It's time for the Lightning with Boat. Records one of those things. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy, it's time for the Lightning Round. It's time for Jake in Virginia. Jake!
2: Hey, Kramer, thanks for all you do for Kramerica. Absolutely. My question is about Gartner, Ticker, IT. So the stock tanked after the recent earnings report. The report yeah. wasn't that bad. Gardner's a terrific company. How long do you think it's going to take to recoup this you loss? Know,
0: we got to look at that. You know, I've always liked Gardner. i got to drill down and see why it's actually so bad because, wow, that may be an opportunity. I'll come back to you on that. It's going to run in Florida. Ron.
2: Captain Jim. Yeah. Captain Ron from Milton, Florida. There you go. Telling about CyberArk. They recently
0: reported a great quarter, but they're losing some ground, and I can't identify why. I think that that was the sellers really just kind of just not really understanding the story. I think that, boy, I got to tell you, that may be actually one of the great buys. There's a lot of people who just say, listen, the only ones we really want to own is, is CyberArk, but Ludie Makati, time and time again, has proven that it's right to own that. Let's go to Kevin in Florida. Kevin.
1: Hey, Jim. Last October, you did a piece on the five best up by class. And in help, you pick Novacure. I bought yes. it, and it tripled. Can I buy more? Uh,
0: don't buy more, but we have the company on. Uh, even Mr. Doyle, Mr. Chairman, and look, I believe in the stories. Matter of fact, I would say the opposite, which is that if you bought some on well, my recommendation, you trim a little because it's been, it's been. I mean, we liked it in the teens, for heaven's sake. How about we go to Trish in New York? Trish! Hi. Hi.
1: I'm calling about Blue
2: Mobile. Is it a keeper or should I sell it?
0: Chill, yeah, I don't know, maybe I made my point. Let's go to Dylan in Georgia. Dylan!
1: Hey, Jim, how's it going? Uh,
0: I'm pretty... uh, so you're not related to I'm Dylan or Dylan are, <laughs> Dylan, are you? I'm sorry, what's the stock? <laughs> um, vermilion Energy. Oh, man, I've been shop, using shop, this button too so often. Shop, no, shop, 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 we don't shop, want anything shop, Europe, energy. Shop, I mean, no, the only one energy is Nitro, the drink! Jim and Colorado, Jim! King Kramer. Yeah. So Cleveland Cliffs has been beaten up this August. It's now trading at two
2: and a half times earnings and paying a 3% dividend. And a uh, Firecracker CEO would be an interesting interview. But I agree. With you, but two and a half times earnings is a
0: sign that the earnings are about to collapse. And so therefore, I don't know, this button's almost dead, right? Sell, 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 Does sell, it sell, have room? Sell, sell, We're sell, in an sell, industrial sell. De- debacle. Aided by the fact that most people think the trade war is never going to end. And that's right in the crosshairs of the Cliffsman. Let's go to Barb in Georgia. Barb. Hey, Jim. Thanks for helping the little guy. Absolutely. Although people on Twitter right now think I'm trying to hurt them. What would be my goal? What would <laughs> be? I mean, what am I? Some sort of, like, Sith word? Okay, go ahead. Okay. My stock is Xilinx. I'm in the house of pain. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Everyone's decided that China and there's a new wrinkle. uh, uh, Look, here's the way I feel about Xilux. You would be foolish to give up at 101. I think that it's going to pay. It's going to be it's in the purgatory right now, but it's really good company with a lot of great infrastructure for 5 g Ryan in Minnesota. Brian.
1: Kramer, I'm here. All right, Brian. Um wondering when we can start buying financial stocks again. No, no, Stanley. and no.
0: We're not going to buy any financials until they go lower because they're just too much. Uh, again, there's too much of confusion. As long as the yield curve stays the way it is, no one's going to recommend any stock that is like Morgan Stanley, even as Morgan Stanley is a great stock. You have to hold it, but don't fight, don't, don't fight. If any one of these guys would ever come on, we would know, but they don't like to come on. So what are you supposed to do? Do their bidding? I'm not doing their bidding. Let's go to Bob in Missouri. Bob! Yeah, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. I uh, watch every
1: night. Okay, uh, thank you. Had a stock that had been downgrading for about two or three weeks now, should I hold or sell AMD?
0: No, you should buy it. Why do you include only hold and sell in the menu? We're talking about Lisa Sue, who may be our foremost ah, CEO right. of this era. I say buy advanced smart oh, And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round!
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: We need to address what happened to the S&P 500 futures last night and this morning. See, there was a panic sell-off last night, and anyone who bit the bullet and took the other side of the trade made Alec a bandit. Sometimes there's a temptation to believe that these futures traders know more than you do. But you know what? That's really the case. Every time these guys get worked up about how the sky is falling and the bull is finished, you need to ask yourself, what could go right that could catch the pajama traders off guard? Think about these guys doing trades in their PJs. As we saw this morning, they often make some serious mistakes, and sometimes it's pretty predictable to anyone with a cool head. Why? Because the future sellers were basing their moves not on new information, but on belief that investors would panic and sell everything again like they did on Friday. Remember this weekend we heard the president had second thoughts on new tariffs, which momentarily made you think that he wanted to walk back his latest statements about raising the current uh, tariffs and ordering American companies to get out of China? But then his people came out and clarified, in fact, he was having second thoughts because he wishes he had threatened to raise the tariffs even higher. Total confusion reigns. Presumably the pajama traders took that apparent reversal to mean the negotiations with China are even in worse shape than we thought, if that's possible. So they figured Friday sellers would return. And they wanted to get out ahead of them. But then in the wee hours of the morning, something, something went right that caught these traders with their pajama pants down. The president announced that China wants to come back to the table. Suddenly, every single future seller from last night was on the wrong side of the trade. As the future spiked higher, of course, the Chinese immediately denied calling him. And most of the media just immediately assumed that Trump was lying. That drove the futures down lower again, cutting again in half. But as I told you at the top of the show, I think this he said, she said approach totally misses the point. We know the president watches the stock market. We know the leaders of the G7 are pressuring him to make a deal because the recession in China will wreck their economies too. Whether China called Trump or Trump called China or no one called anyone, it is in, immaterial. It is an abstraction, people. The fact is, we have a president who doesn't want the market to go down too much, and he's willing to take action to prevent that from happening. Even if it made it all up, it still sends stock higher, right? I mean, undeniable, right? Look, I said before, uh, this is the new pattern, and you're fooling yourself if you don't believe in it. That's why it's so dangerous to bet against the market after a big down day. You're running the risk that the president will do something positive that makes you look like a dope. Frankly, I don't think you should be messing around with the futures in the first place, but if you insist on playing that game, remember that it's very easy to get burned when you're just chasing a trend without considering what might happen to cause a reversal. Or to put it another way, pajamas... Uh, They're for sleeping in, not for trading. Stick with Kramer.
1: Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to MadMoney 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com.
0: A the bell Oklahoma Judge orders j to pay $572 million for its... Let's say hand in the opioid crisis. I think that J and J will win this in appeal, and the fact that it was less than a billion was a win. I like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise. I find it just for you right here, Man Money. I'm Drew and I will see you tomorrow.